welcome to Home Selling Hero, hosted by real estate veteran Tom Didion. Each week, we break down today's ultra-hot home seller's market and give you the tips, tricks, and guidance to navigate the selling process and get the most out of selling your home. Proudly presented by the Tom Didion team. Let's jump in. All right. Greetings and moyen, everybody. Thanks for coming back to the Home Selling Hero podcast. I am your host, Tom Didier, and my guest today is Rob Brooks. Rob is our state representative in the, I believe, our 60th district, which uh, has all of, I think, all of Ozaki and all of Washington. But he has been in the state assembly now for, I believe, I'll ask him to introduce himself here to verify, but I think eight years now that he has been with the state. And prior to that, he was our county chairman for, I think, roughly nine years. And I think he was with the county for longer than that. So, Rob, welcome to the podcast. Take just a couple minutes to introduce yourself to my guests. My guests tend to be a combination of real estate consumers and our fellow practitioners, fellow realtors also. So, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Tom. About 10 years on the county board as chairman and about going on my 10th year in the state assembly and been a realtor or been in the real estate industry for about 30 years. So, you know, seen the ups and downs and been a landlord and everything in between and a broker and in my own firm. So it's really worked out nice having my real estate experience kind of blend in with that local county flair and trying to get some of this stuff passed through the state. So it's it's been a productive eight, nine years for me. I saw in your biography, one of the self titles you gave yourself is citizen legislator, which makes a lot of sense. You're a legislator, but you're actually probably a citizen first and foremost, correct? Right. And I think that's important. Some of my colleagues, and, and I don't mean that it's a bad thing, but I think our government was founded on taking people from all different backgrounds and bringing them together and make decisions. I'm not, I have no experience in the medical field other than my daughter's a nurse. You know, I am not a teacher or I'm not a vet, but we bring all those different interests together brings a lot of expertise to, you know, to a legislative body. So I think that's an important component. So you mentioned you've got a, you've got a daughter who's a nurse and you've got a son who I believe is a graduate of West Point, correct? Correct. And I'm guessing you, you instilled that. Okay. So where did your, where did you, you're not, you have any military background? No, I don't. But my father was in the military. My uncles were all in the military. I was uh, working on going to the Air Force Academy and found out I needed uh, corrective glasses and found out I couldn't fly and decided that wasn't for me. I was going to go a different route and college. I went to college at lacrosse and quickly learned I was more of an entrepreneur than a a follower. So I started my own businesses and got in the restaurant industries and, you know, have kind of gone my own way most of my own life. So obviously you have a sense of patriotism and giving back. Did that come from your dad from that military background or where did that come from, you think? Yeah, my dad, my aunts, my uncles, they were all in the military. And I've been involved from Cub Scouts all the way through coaching high school football. And my wife has done the same. And, you know, we moved to the Sockville area 30 years ago. And it just, I don't know how you can't be grateful to live in this great community, great country, and not want to give back. And I know you and what your company does for our community is second to none. You know, we're very fortunate. Appreciate that. And I saw that you do a lot of work with Stars and Stripes. I know a lot of, we have a lot of mutual friends in there. Are you familiar with the Folds of Honor program? Incredible outing. So I just attended their second annual outing down in at Lac La Belle. Incredible organization doing incredible things. I should have a, another podcast on that, but it's a very moving 
outing, like not a dry eye in that room at the end of the night. But yeah, we can talk about that. that's a little sidebar. All right. So the reason Rob is on the podcast is we're going to talk about some of the victories being legislative victories from the Wisconsin Realtors. And I tell my I tell my listeners, they probably know by now that we being the Wisconsin Realtors are pretty active when it comes to getting things done. We don't sit on the sidelines. We actually have a very strong interest in helping the economy move. And we get a lot of shit done, I say. So we're, I'm going to ask you to kind of maybe just take the last fiscal year and talk about what do you think are the biggest victories? And I know you've written some of the stuff too. So just pick one or two to talk about briefly that we can summarize on things that uh, will help keeping this economy going. Yeah. Before I jump into that, Tom, I just want to say what the realtors do in the state is, I, I think you're even understating the impact they have on all the policies throughout the state. And it's not just real estate driven. It is consumer protection, landlord tenant laws. It is keeping taxes low, property taxes, getting rid of the personal property tax, which is one of the things the realtors were a driving force behind this last year. And we were able to do that after a number of sessions, you know, and one of the bills that uh, I authored, I offered up five and had some colleagues uh, take the lead on it for me so they could come to my committee. One was the NIMBY bill, I'm going to call it, because I think everybody can relate to that. And I know you do development. I've done development in the past. And that is kind of a development by right concept, meaning, and I'm going to use Port Washington since it's our home area as an example. If it's in their zoning code, it's in their comprehensive plan, they need to approve it and not say, well, we'll approve it, but only according to these terms. No, no, no. I bought the land knowing that what I wanted to do was a permitted use. And you need to be able to approve this. You can put conditions on it. I'm fine with that. But you need to approve it. And I shouldn't have to go to court to get those approvals or have a two-year delay in that window. You know, so that is, I think, one of the most substantial bills is to kind of require communities. And we did it on conditional use a couple of sessions ago with the towns. And the sky didn't fall. It, what it did was require local units of government to actually adhere to their policies that they put in place to expedite this and get some affordable housing on the market. And affordable doesn't mean low income in many of these cases. You know, and almost all development now is TIF district, you know, which is for the lay people out there, it's where instead of paying your taxes on an annual basis, it will go back to the developer via the community to pay for some of that infrastructure. And a lot of communities are maxed out with their TIF. So we created that program that developers in partnership with the community, like Port Washington would say, we're willing to increase, decrease lot sizes, decrease some of our, you know, natural siding, stone facade, brick facade, some of those require wide driveways, sidewalks. We're gonna forego some of those things to bring down the cost of housing. And in appreciation for that, the state has offered up a 0% or low interest, kind of a TIF district, but the difference is the property stays on the market the entire time or stays on the tax rolls the entire time where a TIF comes off for 20 some years. So the first two things I think I heard you summarize, I'm just looking at my notes. You're talking about act 14 and act 16. Act 16 would probably be the NIMBY bill. NIMBY, my cons my listeners should know the NIMBY is not in my backyard. And these are the people I've talked about. My frustration is that the same people are objecting to every development for the sake of objecting. They don't actually have, because we've proposed workforce housing and they say, oh, you're bringing in low income. We propose high-end condos. They say, oh, you're catering to the rich and nothing in between. I've seen the same people object for the sake of objecting. And in the meantime, it gets bogged down in politics 
And a perfect example is look what's happened in the last 24 months. Interest rates went from four to eight. And now we're hearing, and I hear developers say, this doesn't pencil out. We can't develop. We have a housing crisis, in my opinion, and I think everybody would agree we need more housing. And then the developers are looking at these opportunities and they're saying, this doesn't pencil out. I'm not going to go bankrupt trying to do this. So that leads us to Act 14, which you guys did create kind of a loan, right? It's a loan from the state to help developers. It just says, my book work here says low interest or no interest. Does that kind of depend on the project or what what are the developers going to pay back the state on that loan? Yeah, it's going to be either low or no interest, depending on the, just like any other loan, credit risk, length of the term. You know, if you're putting up, Multifamily units, the length of payback is going to be longer. If it's going to be residential, we're going to have a due on sale clause, you know, so we can do 0% interest on loans like that because there's a quicker turnaround. You know, so I think it's going to provide some unique opportunities, you know. And then a couple of the other bills that we touched on, you know, our Main Street program, you know, we have those in every community where you have a three story space with maybe a florist on the downstairs or a candy shop or something. But those upstairs have not been utilized for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. They've been used for storage and not really housing. And that's where we really need the housing. And it's usually more affordable because all the utilities and infrastructure are there. So this would afford some of those owners to go in and update those units and put new furnaces in, paint, you know, put new roofs on, take care of that and get some housing right on our main street. So I think that's another really good program. We need housing everywhere. And I've been telling people, and it's not self-serving for me to say we need apartments because it's not really, I'm not in that business, but the property management that we are in, we've seen the demand for rentals be so high that people have been offering over the rental amount, which is unheard of. So you put something up for rent for a thousand bucks and the the tenant is so desperate for housing, they offer you $1,100. Say, please take my application. I'm willing to pay it. So we have such, such a housing crisis when it comes to everything, rentals, condos, duplexes, everything. And yeah, we're going to need to get some things done. All right. Talk to me about the vacant commercial to housing conversion low program, because the first thing I think of is something like, is this applied to like Northridge? I mean, Northridge has been vacant for how many years and it's how, how big, but there's a lot of commercial space out there just sitting there, correct? Correct. And you nailed probably the biggest eyesore in the state, Northridge, because it gets the most press. But it also applies to that vacant strip mall that almost every community has. We have it here in Port Washington where you used to have a, how many grocery stores and always, you know, downsized or a dollar store or a shop or a Kmart or Walmart built across the street. And we went through this on another piece of legislation that I did a couple of sessions ago on dark stores. But you see after a period of time that the Walmarts, the Menards, the big box stores, they don't rebuild in the next city. They rebuild a mile down the road and leave the old structure sitting there. And a lot of those structures sit for a very, very long time and are in their perfect locations for development to turn similar to what happened in Grafton in our community, where they put up some nice senior housing and condos and repurpose or tear down those buildings. So that this low interest program would either help with the demo or help with the rehabilitation of those properties. So many empty spaces, and I would call it COVID and Amazon. I mean, Amazon has changed the world. The way people shop is completely different. I mean, Amazon, you know, they've changed retail. And COVID, of course, everyone, you know, was stuck in their houses for a couple of years. And so nobody wants to go back to work. So, and people in the world, maybe for good reasons, has adapted. And a lot of people can work from home and still be, you know, very efficient. So, yeah, we've got all this empty office space. And some empty retail stores, and we got to figure out 
how to make use of all these empty spaces. Right. And it, the market is very creative in doing that. We just have to bridge that gap, you know, especially with financing today, as you pointed out, what was viable, you know, 18 months ago, it doesn't pencil out right now unless we help. Have a house to sell, but not sure who to trust when it comes to getting the best deal and leveraging the current market? Trust the experts at the Tom Didier team. With over a quarter century of selling Milwaukee, Tom and his team of real estate experts are here to ensure that you get every penny you deserve out of selling your home. No matter where you live in the dairy state, put one of Wisconsin's top real estate teams to work for you in selling your home and making the most of your real estate investment. Looking to buy a house instead? Tom and his team have you covered here as well, helping you craft and perfect the offer on your dream home. Visit SellingMilwaukee.com to find out how much your home could be worth and connect with the team to make your next real estate transaction a dream. Now, back to the show. My notes here say you guys um, held the line on property taxes again. I know that I think it was 2011 when we created um, levy limits that basically says municipalities in Wisconsin can't just arbitrarily raise taxes for any reason, correct? And I'm guessing there was some pushback saying some municipalities wanted to go ahead and just jack up taxes again. Yeah, that's always the case. And, you know, one of the nice things that we did that I think will be transformational for the state, and I know your family's been involved in local government for a long time, is the shared revenue. So the state charges 5% sales tax on everything pretty much sold in the state except for food. Um, and now 1% of that, 20% of that money will go back to local communities, towns, cities, villages, counties, you know, so that they have an increasing revenue source every year as long as the economy is doing well. So I think that's going to be a huge win for local communities and still help hold the line. You know, we still have a lot to do, though, with property taxes. We've been, going back to the Walker administration, been artificially buying down a lot of these school referendums and other things that don't truly reflect how high your taxes are in your community because the state has been buying them down. I will tell you that I think over the next decade or so, depending on how some things go, I think some of that will be whittled back and communities will be surprised when they're actually, you know, required to pay the full load of their referendum. All right. So what are you working on right now? What do you see in the next uh, 12 months? What are your uh, challenges and opportunities or what are you working on actually at the moment? Yeah. So the biggest project I'm working on is I'm a lead negotiator for the brewers deal and trying to keep the brewers here without raising taxes, you know, pointed out as being the county board chair. I was one of those five counties that were included in that tax and, and heard the repercussions for that. So I think we came up with a really good plan to create a TIF like income district to where we say, there's about $650 million over the next, you know, between now and 2050 in income taxes related to the brewers and the visiting teams. And we would like to take about two thirds of that amount and apply it to maintaining the stadium. So if you play second baseman for the Cubs and you're visiting or the Yankees or the Cardinals, you're contributing as you earn your income there, you're contributing to maintaining the field. Same thing with our home teams, they're contributing, but there's no, no sales tax revenue directly put to the project. None of that except for Milwaukee and um, Milwaukee County, because now they've got a 2% sales tax. There's about a quarter of a billion dollars in sales just at the stadium alone uh, that would be appropriate to 
put the sales tax on and have that money go back to rehabbing the facilities. So I think that's an exciting opportunity to keep the brewers without raising any new taxes. You're pretty confident you're going to get it done? I am confident, you know, the, needless to say, we're in a divided government right now, but the governor has stated that he's interested in keeping them. I work for seven months now with the brewers to make sure we're in a good spot with them. I think we are right now. I was just really getting the local funding from Milwaukee and Milwaukee County and getting some of my Democratic colleagues to support the plan. As it relates to real estate, you know, as a lifelong resident of Wisconsin, I can't imagine not having our brewers, our bucks or our packers. But, you know, that sort of thing has a huge impact on real estate. I mean, I don't have the data to say that values in Wisconsin are stable or better because we have a professional sports team. But just look at what that brings to the economy. It's hugely important to real estate. Oh, it's incredibly important. You know, even if it's not immediate development around the area, which has come up, you know, we'd like to see some of that area developed around, you know, AmFam Field. And I think we'll get that by providing some certainty that we'll be staying through 2050 or, the, you know, the brewers will. They're our main tenant and the state owns the building. So that development and recruiting, you know, we are an ex- exporter of our college kids, it would be nice that we actually recruited people in and we know that having professional sports teams and recreational activities are essential to recruiting those young kids. What else? Anything else great you're working on right now? Brewer sounds super exciting. Yeah, we're, you know, years ago here, this is my county experience. You know, one of the things that kind of bothered me was if the county were to take your property for tax liens, they were never required to sell it. So if you had a million-dollar property today but owned $15,000 in taxes and had it free, the county could take that property and say, yeah, we're going to keep it as a park or whatever, and you'd be entitled to none of the proceeds. If they sell it by law, you're entitled to the proceeds after their cost. But there's no requirement to sell. So we've had some instances here in this county and in other counties where people have high equity, and for whatever reason, just didn't pay their taxes. You know, grandma has Alzheimer's dementia, didn't pay the taxes, didn't share it with the family. And next thing you know, the home's taken on a tax lien and the county doesn't sell it because it's, you know, a prime example is the property that is next to Hawthorne Golf Course up there that we kept, you know, and never sold. Yeah. And it's, see, I'm fine with government turning it into a park if they're willing to pay fair market value for it. If there's a need for a park and they want to buy it. But like you said, you can't take advantage of somebody just because of, a private citizen's financial situation and you can't profit. The government shouldn't be profiting from that. Right. So that's another big one. You know, another big bill related to real estate is the Zillow bill that you're well aware of, you know, and and just really, we're not trying to squeeze out Zillow or any competition. So that's the big thing, but we do want to make sure that someone that holds a broker's license here in Wisconsin actually does an inspection of the property so that we're, you know, you're not buying swamp land or something and somebody's misrepresenting it. And not intentionally. I'm not saying that Zillow or any other company would do it intentionally, but you know, and I know sometimes our clients aren't always honest with us, you know, or in forthcoming. So, well, leading leading statement there. You just mentioned swampland, and I know that one of the things on your agenda is take a look at title issues as it relates to lake beds, because in theory, if land was ever water, that becomes public, and of course now along. Rivers and streams and creeks and Lake Michigan, you've got a lot of development. People love water. We're all drawn to the water, and that can be a separate podcast. But now, you know, there's a lot of 
claims that the public still owns whatever development was built on the water. And I, if I understand correctly, you guys got to figure that out and, and come up with some laws that clarifies um, anything that it relates to the lake bed, correct? Correct. And that's going to be an uphill lift. And, you know, I hate to be political about everything, but with the change in the Supreme Court, we were very fortunate in, that I was able to pass the Shoreland zoning bill last session and that Adam Jarko was able to get some major changes, you know, about eight years ago. Because those changes are going to be, you know, harder to come by now to protect property rights. And I don't mean to be a doom and gloom person, but, you know, elections have consequences and that's going to be one of them. That some of these things that we've taken for granted, you know, when it comes to property rights, it could be unwound here pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. Going to have to keep our head on a swivel and watch that. What's your opinion on a real quick one? Because we seem to talk about this. It seems to come up in my podcast, the whole VRBOs and Airbnb. And of course, we've got the right to rent. And I believe it's always for a good reason being challenged and evolving because people like me and you use Airbnb and VRBO all the time. And of course, government seems to like not quite understand what they should do or what they can do with regulating or prohibiting. We know they, they shouldn't and they can't prohibit, but it seems like that's evolving a lot. Right. You know, and I think where government fails is to look at treating that property the same as the neighboring property. You have sound ordinances. Your neighbor can't play music past this time, can't be above so many decibels, can't do that. Well, nor should a, you know, vacation rental. You know, so some of the, what they need to do is enforce the laws on the books currently, you know, and occupancy permits, you can't have more than this per bedroom. A lot of that actually enforce the rules that are on the book. I don't think we need to keep creating more and more and more rules to where we squeeze people out of their right to keep that property. Because right now, as you well know, the market's a little tight and sometimes you can get a great price. Sometimes you're going to, you know, sit with the interest rates. You know, there's a lot of buyers out there that can't quite make that next leap with the interest rates there. So putting your home on a, you know, into a rental pool for a few years may get you through a bad market. So I hate to see people lose the equity they've worked their whole life for just because of a downturn in the market when that's a viable option for them. That's an interesting viewpoint. I haven't heard somebody state it the way you just did, but you basically just said, listen, we don't need more rules and regulations. We have rules and regulations. We just need to do a better job of enforcing it before we just jump all over it and say we need more and more. So we basically probably do have proper rules and regulations. We just need to enforce them. Yep, that's perfect. And make you aware that, you know, because you're a vacation by a rental owner and you probably want to be on the safer side of some of these ordinances and stuff. And I think most people want to be. Nobody wants the cops called. Nobody wants, you know, to have 25 people staying at their house, a three-bedroom house, you know. So I think a lot of this can be done just with education. Yeah, cool. You and I both agree we have some challenges ahead of us as it relates to real estate and just the few transactions that are available. Everyone, I would have never predicted that all of these homeowners are imprisoned in their own home due to their interest rate. Nobody's leaving, nobody's leaving 2.75. They're riding that out for as long as it takes. Right. So it's the reverse of the Obama cash for clunkers where everybody got rid of their cars and put a huge dent in the normal cycle of, you know, car sales. Well, that's what's happening now. These high interest rates, so you take my son who bought a home for, 360 that's now worth 500 and god bless him that's great right in port washington but he's also at two two point something for an interest rate he's not selling that anytime in the next 10 15 years unless rates come back down 
Yeah. And rates are, I think that's what it's going to take. We're going to have to, we have to do what we can do to create infrastructure and create inventory because there's huge demand out there. But in terms of getting people to leave their interest rates, it's going to take, in my opinion, something below 5% before they feel like they're willing to upgrade and go from say 3% to 5%. Right. Yeah. I think where local government's going to come in is a lot of people are going to want to stay where they are and they're willing to maybe put a hundred, 200,000 in an addition on their home and pay the higher interest rate without renewing their first mortgage. So, you know, communities are going to be up against it too, as far as setbacks and what kind of, you know, ancillary buildings you can build on your property. Can you build that mother-in-law suite, you know, in the back or above your garage and add on there. So it's going to be challenging for local units of government going forward. Totally agree. All right. Well, with that being said, I think we'll wrap it up here, Rob. I appreciate everything you do. There's a reason you keep getting reelected. And I guess as long as you're, as long as you're successful, you're going to be around for a while. Do we have any future plans or anything? Is Rob going anywhere else in the future? No, you're not running for president. I have no aspirations other than where I'm at. This is, this has been more than enough work for me. So (laughs) all of your constituents appreciate your hard work. I'm sure we'll see you at an event soon enough. Thanks for joining me. And remember, everyone, remember all my listeners to always use a local lender. It will help make your transaction go smoothly. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to Home Selling Hero. For more, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and connect with Tom across LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have a question about selling your home or buying your next one, reach out to Tom at tom at tomdidier.com or call or text him directly at 414-881-3290. Home Selling Hero is a production of Tom Didier Real Estate in partnership with Westport Studios. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and any information presented during the course of discussion is presented as reliable under the laws of the state of Wisconsin. Be sure to consult a local agent in order for any nuances where you may live.